If you have your Bibles, would you turn to Ephesians chapter 2? Ephesians chapter 2. We'll continue on with this particular book. Again, as I go through this particular book, I'm taking probably um, a little bit larger sections of scriptures than most preachers do when they do a book study. Uh, I've been dealing them with half chapters. Chapter 1, the first half was all about the great things God's done for us. The second half of chapter 1 was Paul's first prayer for this church group. Basically, he was praying for wisdom and knowledge and understanding for this group. In the first half of chapter 2, we studied the, uh, the fall, the, the genetic hurdle we must overcome to have a relationship with God. And it's actually, we don't overcome it, God overcame it for us. And then today I'd like to cover the second half of chapter 2, and that is about a racial hurdle that was true for these Ephesians. A racial hurdle. You know, the problem of race has been going along for a long time. And as we look at these particular two groups, we find out that they've been at each other and neither one of them was happy with each other. The Jews despised the Gentiles and the Gentiles despised the Jews. Uh, you go back and there was a period of time where Jews had Gentile slaves and, and, and when Rome conquered, they made slaves out of Hebrews and it just was going on and on and on. So what they did is, we're going to find out, they implemented a new theory in schools and they fixed everything. No, that's not what happened. Okay, I know I'm making a joke. The only thing that fixed race problems is Jesus Christ. And that's what the bottom line is going to be. All right? So let's go through and let's read this section of Scripture. It's 12 verses long. Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through 12. Okay? Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, this but is very similar to the but we just read in Ephesians 2.4, but now in Christ ye who are sometimes afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of the commandments contained in the ordinance, for to make in himself twain one new man, so making peace. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you, which were afar off unto them that were nigh. And through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father." Now, therefore, we ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for habitation of God through the Spirit. Now, when I look at this section of 12 verses, I'm going to uh, <clears throat> uh, look at it in three sections. I will look at the first two verses, 11 and 12, and basically what that is about, that's saying once upon a time there was a difference between the Jews and the Gentiles. And then when we go to the next section of Scripture, 13 through 18, we're going to look at how Jesus Christ made them one. Two different people became one. 
And then the last couple of verses, that two people that became one is called one body or one household or one building. And it's a description of that. So there's the description of the chapter. This is how it fits in the whole book. And we're going to go forward. So with that being said, let's go to these first couple of verses. And I want to talk about some of the differences. All right. The first thing I would like to do is when I read this, <clears throat> I want you to understand that God gave the Ten Commandments. And there was commandments that were specifically for the Jews, but there were commandments God gave that he held, and he held all mankind accountable, Jews and not Jews. Okay? I cannot go in the Bible and find anywhere where God just leveled the Gentiles for not going to the synagogue on the Sabbath. I can find nowhere in the Old Testament where he leveled the Gentiles for eating barbecue. It's just not there. Those are things he would have called sin in the eyes of the Jews, but they weren't given. However, I can go in Scripture and I can find cases where sexual sins like sodomy, he leveled both people for doing that sin. And I can go in Scripture and I can find out where infants were being sacrificed unto idols. And he leveled both nations for doing such practices. So my point is, is there are some commandments. Principally, the ceremonial law is what separated the two. But the bottom line here is, look, see these lining up here? Those first four, those are the God commandments. And they are to the Jews. And then we go to the next six, honor parents, murder, adultery, stealing, lying, coveting. Those are to all people. And God held them all accountable. And it was true whether you're Jew or Gentile. It's true whether you're New Testament or Old Testament. He still holds us to all those last four, those last, I'm sorry, last six. Okay? Those are things we have to do. But what is so amazing and this is the backbone of what is going to heal. When we as, okay, now I'm, I'm trying to make you go back 2,000 years ago and try to, try to understand, here's these Ephesians. They were Gentiles. Once they were under God's care, they were ignorant of a lot of his ways, his commandments. They were ignorant of um, his promises, his covenants. And then we look at this. And we realize that they could not keep God's commandments. Even though they had a lesser number to keep, they couldn't keep them. And then we go over here to the Jews that had more commandments. They couldn't keep them either. Do you understand? So both of them need Jesus Christ. Period. Amen? And it is not till then, till you understand your fallen state and your need for a Savior, that you will put down the race card and you will come together in a place where you realize, without Christ I am nothing, and you stop looking horizontal, you start looking vertically, it's kind of like that wall. Here's the Gentiles and here's the Jews and they meet in the corner. You know what that corner is? The cornerstone? That's Jesus Christ. That's what's going to fix the race cart. That's going to fix over here. Now, there was a problem in these early churches. 
And if you don't believe it, all you have to do is read Acts 11 through 15 and look at all the Donnybrooks that used to happen in the Old Testament when Jews were starting to get um, infiltrated by Gentiles. Infiltrated is probably the wrong word, but they were starting to have to sit down and worship with them and wash their feet and sing songs with them and have communion with them and fellowship with them and serve one another. That was kind of irritating some people. But again, what was happening is they were looking horizontally. It's not until you start looking vertically, your need for a savior. And at that point, you realize the skin thing is no big deal. The genetic thing is no big deal. The social standing is no big deal. Amen? All right. So, let's look at some scripture. When I go to Romans 9, let me read 6 and 7. This is basically what Paul's telling this church at Rome. Now, again, if you were ever to read the book of Romans, I don't know if you ever noticed it, but a lot of times when we think about churches that had problems with Jews and Gentiles, we go right to Galatians, right? Well, it turned out, I think the church of Rome had just as many problems as Galatia. If you ever just power read through the the book of Romans, especially the first 10 chapters, think how many times this is Jew and Gentile, circumcision and uncircumcision. There was some race problems in that church. And notice what he says here in verse chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. For they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Does that sound like double talk? Kind of, sort of, doesn't it? Neither because they are the seed of Abraham, they are all the children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. <clears throat> Think about it. Abraham had two biological sons, Ishmael and Isaac. Both of them had the same genetics from the same father. Both of them were circumcised. Yet one of them was called Israel and one of them wasn't. What made the difference was the promise. Let's go a little bit further. What made the difference? It was the circumcision in the heart. All of a sudden, Paul's getting to a place and he has circumcision, the one that's in the flesh, that doesn't count for squat. I know, that's not King James. I'm trying to do better with that. That doesn't mean anything. What matters is the circumcision of the heart. And that's not something you do or something I do. Okay? Let's read another passage. Let's keep on going here. Let me read 9, 8. They which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. It doesn't say seeds. It says the seed. That's Jesus Christ. And then verse 11. For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, this is talking about Jacob and Esau, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. Do you realize Jacob and Esau were twins? They were of the same mother and father. They were both circumcised. But one was and was was not. What made the difference? It was the circumcision of the heart. And that was an operation God did. Okay? So it doesn't have anything to do with skin. It doesn't have anything to do with the race. It doesn't have anything to do with nationality. It doesn't have anything to do with the parents. Economic standing, education, whatever we split hairs over. Amen? Okay, good. Galatians 3, 28 and 29. Paul is in the other church right now, the one that had some race issues. And this is what he says. There is neither knee, uh, let me slow down. 
There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male or female. Are you starting to get the idea? Flesh doesn't make the difference. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus, and if ye be Christ, then ye be of Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This is not by genetics. Okay? Neither is it by an act of obedience that your parents did to you when you were eight days old. It's got nothing to do with that. Right? And then finally, Galatians 5 and 6. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. That's where Jew and Gentile meets. It's in Christ Jesus. It's in the worship of Jesus Christ. And even in a church that's worshiping Jesus Christ, if we continue to have the horizontal perspective, that'll be nothing more than a church with divisions in them and schisms. It's not until you get to the point where you realize your behavior, your works are nothing compared to the work of Jesus Christ. Yes? I told this story. This is one I even shared with my children. I had um, three grandchildren over a couple, a week or two ago. And I had a little packet of M&M's. Okay, so three grandchildren. You know how little those guys are. You guys are just hearing this story for the first time. And I opened it up, and you know what? There was 22 M&M's. And I said, oh, because 22 can't be divided by four. And 22 can't be divided by three either. So what I did is I took the 22 M&M's and I passed them out and I gave everybody one, one for me, one, two, three, four. So everybody had a pile of five. Got it? And there was two dangling in the middle. Don't you know my three grandchildren were eyeballing those two in the middle? They were looking at those two, looking at me, looking at each other. They were looking at everything except for the pile of five in front of them. It must have been my daughter-in-law's fault because that didn't come through my genetics. <laughs> Wrong. We got something called eternal salvation. And that's what God gave us. And we spend all our time fussing about those two in the middle, looking sideways, instead of vertically for the great big gift that the Lord gave us. Amen? All right. <clears throat> Let's go to the next section of Scripture. Once again, we're looking at this passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 2. We're look, we broke that 12-verse section up into three sections. The first two is talking about once upon a time there was a difference, but Jesus changed the difference. This next section talks, in the, and there's, I found four themes in these just, what is there, six verses. I found four themes in just these six little verses. And I want to go through these four themes as we work our way through this. Number one, I want to talk about Separation. There was once a time, it was separation, and Jesus removed all the distance between Jew and Gentile, and he removed all the barriers. Now, let's look at these phrases here. In verse 13, it says, you were far off, but you're made nigh. 
In other words, these Ephesians, these Gentiles that had been converted to a Christian church, once upon a time, they were a long ways from Christ, but Jesus brought them close. Okay, that's removing the distance. Notice what it says in verse 14. It says, he had broken down the middle wall. There was a wall between, invisible wall between Jew and Gentile. And Jesus took a wrecking ball and just went through and he blew it up. He crushed it and the wall's gone. Okay? I come down to verse 17. Once again, we see he came and preached to you that were afar off and you are now nigh. The distance has been evaporated. And then finally in verse 18, it says, Through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. You know, really in the Old Testament, no one had access to God like we have today. The Jews did once a year through one high priest. That's not access to the guy for the common man. But now you in a church. Now, now as we read this, it's, it's hard for us to think this way. In a lot of ways, I'm looking in this congregation, I think, you know, I think all of us were the Gentiles. There might be one in here that wasn't or half wasn't. I don't know. But again, we, none of us had access to God. We are these Gentiles. And there was a time where we did not have access to God, and now we are bought and given a position where we have access to God. That's one thing Jesus did. But in a way, he gave the Jews access to God too, in a way they never had it before. Okay. Harmony. Notice this harmony. Now, when I think of harmony, when I look at what Jesus did on the cross, <clears throat> one time I was here and I, I preached a message called 46 past tense verbs. And I took those 46 past tense verbs and I put them in categories. And when you put them in categories, some of them kind of fall into the part what Jesus did on the cross, and it says he redeemed us. And we can go with ransom and bought and purchased. And those are all financial terms that the Bible uses to describe when he bought us, when he paid for us. Okay? And then I can slide over here, and then there's another set of words that talk about there was a division between us and God. When Adam sinned, there was a separation in terms of spiritual, and Jesus Christ reconciled that. The Bible also uses words like propitiation and atonement, which is really at one right? He made us at one with God. So this is what I'm talking about in this particular passage. It's that reconciliation. When a husband and wife have a fight, they have to come together, they, they, they work out the differences, they, 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 they resolve it, and they have a reconciliation and they come back together. That's what Jesus did for us. We were separated and he brought us back taking care of that. Look at the phrases that are used to describe that. Verse 14, Jesus is called our peace. 15, it says, he abolished the enmity. 15, again, he says, he made peace. In 16, it says, he reconciled both. He reconciled Jew and he reconciled Gentile. In 16, it says, he slain the enmity. And then finally in 17, once again, he says, he preached peace. Don't you know, he's the prince of peace. He reconciled us to God. He did all that. But we needed him to do that as Gentiles, but he needed to do the same thing for the Jews. See, that's what's going to conquer the race issue when you realize what kind of worms we all are. And if it wasn't for Jesus Christ, we would not be brought together. Okay? Here's another third theme through this passage. Unity. Unity. 
I couldn't be helped but struck by how many times two became one. Did, I don't know if you noticed when you read this, but look at what it says here in verse 14. Who hath made both one. He made both Jew and Gentile one. In verse 15, it says, making himself twain one new man. Two became one new man. See that? In verse 16, it says, both unto God in one body. Jew and Gentile are now in one body. And then finally down here in verse uh, 17, no, 18, it says, both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Do you see that two into one? Right? Kind of sounds like a marriage, doesn't it? You know, when husband and wife come together, those two are supposed to come one? I always get a laugh out of that marriage math. Yeah, yeah, you know my silly math humor. When it comes to math, one plus one equals one, and one plus one equals three, but one plus one ought never equal two. Josiah, don't use that in your algebra class. Okay? But that's the way marriage math works. But it turns out that's the way church math works too. One and one become one. One and one become three. But one and one ought never come two. Amen? All right. And there was a third theme. No, fourth theme. I just did three. A fourth theme. The fourth theme is the catalyst. What made all this happen? I'll give you one guess. Was it money? No. Was it anger? No. Was it a theory? No. Was it a new doctrine in the schools? No. The only thing that did it was Jesus Christ. Period. But now, in Jesus Christ, by the blood of Christ. Do you understand that? Verse 15. The abolishing, the making of one new man, the peace, was done in himself. And that he might reconcile. Verse 16. And verse 17, it says, he preached peace. I want to talk to you about that for just a second. And verse 18, it says, through him we have access. Man, I can't find putting me in there anywhere. I can't find myself taking the glory for anything. We want to do it, don't we? But it is not going to happen. It'll be Jesus Christ and him alone. Now, when it comes down to verse 17, it says, He preached peace. I think this is what the scripture is saying. Because if you remember, he was pretty selective in who he preached to for those three and a half years. And matter of fact, when he sent his disciples out two by two, he was pretty selective there. It wasn't until after his death, burial, and resurrection that he sent them loose to the Gentiles in full capacity. But it says he preached peace. What he did is he preached to the apostles, and the apostles went and preached his message. So that's how his one, it was done secondhand. But he did preach peace through his disciples when he gave them what to say, and then they went out and did it. The proof here is in John 20 and 21, and also 2 Corinthians 3.13. This is Paul speaking. He says, since you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, which to you word is not weak, but is mighty in you. Paul's saying, I'm preaching to you, but what I'm preaching is not me. 
It's Jesus Christ. And some of you think I'm a weakling for that. No, it actually makes me a stronger preacher because Christ is being preached in me to you. Amen? Okay. So let's go to the third section of Scripture. <clears throat> the last section, that is 19 through 22. This is what a New Testament ought to look like. Okay, it doesn't matter if it's the year 2021 in Roanoke, Virginia. Maybe we're made up of homeschoolers and non-homeschoolers. Maybe we got some Southerners and Yankees. Maybe we got Virginia fans and Virginia Tech fans. Okay, you understand. Churches can create all kinds of divisions. Maybe we got the Blue Bloods. I was born and raised in the Primitive Baptist Church. You've only come in here a little short time, right? This is what the church ought to look like. Verse 19. Let me read the whole passage to you, then we'll double back and get some of the major points. But, but notice how the separation has been fixed. In verses 1 through 12, it says, You church in Ephesus, once upon a time there was a difference between us. But Jesus Christ changed that, and now we're one. And now that we are one, this is how, to, how we ought to behave, right? It says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners. If the Ephesian church members, you were outside of God's sonship. But fellow citizens with the saints of the household of God. What does it mean to be in the household of God? What does it mean to be family? And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together unto a holy temple in the Lord in whom ye also builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Look at those phrases. It used to be strangers and foreigners. Now it's fellow citizens and family members, residents. We were framed together into a holy temple. We were built together through the Spirit. Hmm. Now, I want you to notice something here, right here. The foundation of this church is Jesus Christ. Now, we've got over here a cornerstone, and that's Jesus Christ. And from that cornerstone, all the lines are directed. And in that foundation, there are some apostles, and then built on top of that are Jews and Gentiles. Now, picture this stone wall from a lot of aspects. Let's look at it from a, uh, um, a figure speech. You got these stones, and the first thing I understand about stones is stones are not uniform. I always stress this point. Bricks are uniform. Stones are not uniform. And when stones are put together, turns out stone is a lot stronger than mortar. So when you put them together, you try to fit them as snugly as possible because you want as little mortar together. Make it stronger as possible. But sometimes when you put those in to make them fit... Think about it from a church standpoint. You might have a Gentile here and a Jew on top of them, and a Jew to the right of them and a Jew below them, which means if you're a Jew, that means you might have a Gentile to the left and the right of you. Okay? That's the way he put us together as a stone wall. We don't want it that way. I, I, I kind of like it better, Jesus, when you had, this is the Jew wall, this is the Gentile wall, and we'll kind of arbitrarily meet in the middle. But that's not really the way he did it. The way he did it was he's got them together on top, below, right, left, each other, intermingling. That's the way a church functions. 
fitly put together. And the only way you can build a wall, I don't know if you've noticed, but a couple years ago, Deborah asked me to redo our fireplace. We had the one we had wasn't very good, and I brought some of this, some of these this rock facing. Okay. And I had to piece together. You know what I did? I had this great big sheet, this tarp that I laid on the living room floor, and I placed all the stones all over the floor. And it was like a jigsaw puzzle. I looked, and I put one in right there on the corner, so this one was on the wall, and then I looked, and I searched all over, and I, oh, this one over here will fit the next one. So I took it, and I put it on top of it. And then I had to look, and I had to find the one that would go to the right, and I looked, and I, oh, way over here, here's the one I need. And I took it, and I put it there. That's the way God does the church. Amen? So when we have a lunch, I don't want all the Hodges sitting with the Hodges and the painters sitting with the painters and the Kemp sitting with the painters. Right? Isn't that what you do it? Or all the homeschoolers sitting with all the homeschoolers and the homeschoolers with the homeschoolers or the farmers with the farmers and, and, and you know, understand, right? But that's what you, and you know what else I don't want? I don't want all the teenagers sit with a teenager. It's okay for them teenagers sit with the teenagers. But sometimes I want to see them mixed up a little bit. And you grandparents, I don't want you to sit with all the grandparents. You can have fellowship once in a while, but once in a while, get up and sit next to a teenager. Okay? That's the way this church is. That's the way it's supposed to be. All right, let's go. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Christ Jesus. That's Colossians, 1 Corinthians 3, 11. And this is what we're called in 1 Peter 2, 5. It says, ye are lively bricks built up a spiritual house. No, that's not what it says. It says, ye are lively stones, right? You're not uniform. I always make this point too when I get on this passage. You know, in the Old Testament, somewhere around Nehemiah 8, they had to build an altar. And God says, when you build that altar, he says, I don't want you messing with those rocks. I don't want you to take a hammer and a chisel or another rock and knocking off a sharp edge. However you find the rock, you've got to use it just the way it is. You know, some of us come to our church with kind of edges that kind of jut out, don't we? And before we come and let them into the church, you know what we want to do? We want to knock off that edge. Okay, now you can be a member. That's not the way the altar was made. Now, don't get me wrong. Some of us have sin, and we've got to put down sin. I'm not talking about that kind of rough edge. We've got to run that one through the pressure washer and get all the dirt off of it. I, I, I get that. I'm talking about changing a fundamental piece of your personality. that says, no, you're not like us. Don't you know we all drive station wagons with wood grain paneling? You can't, you can't come in here with a Hummer. I was actually at a church where a guy with a Hummer made the church congregation very uncomfortable. It didn't help that the Hummer was yellow either, but anyway. It was a little too much bling. I, I get it. But he was still a babe in Christ and he needed to grow. Amen? You're laughing. That really happened. You think we, we get afraid of the old jalopy. No, mini, for primitive Baptist, we think minivans, just right. That's, that's what we're looking for, right? No hummers, no jalopy. We, we, we want right there. We want our bricks. We don't want any stones. 
you know I'm being silly, right? Yeah. Okay. First Corinthians six nineteen. I want to I want to read these two side by side. Now you got to be very careful. <clears throat> this language is used oh three or four times in the book of Corinthians all by itself. It says, "Ye are the temple of God." That Bible verse, the, I mean, sorry, that phrase is used differently in the two different verses. Sometimes it says, ye are the temple of God, and he's talking about one little person like Emery. Emery, ye are the temple of God. And as a temple of your physical being, as an individual, the Spirit dwells in you, and it gives you instruction. That's what's going on in 1 Corinthians 6.19. It's talking about individuals. But when you go to 1 Corinthians 3, it's not talking about individuals, it's talking about congregations, and it's saying, ye, plural, are the temple of God, and the Holy Spirit dwells in you. So when you see that phrase, ye are the temple of God, you go back and get the context, is that talking about me as an individual, or is it talking about myself as a congregation? You've got to be very careful, because it shows up a couple times. Okay? But my point is, is we, Mount Olive Church, are the temple of God and the Holy Spirit dwells in that temple. And we've been fashioned together as stones to make up that building where the Holy Spirit dwells. I don't know about you, but, but that's pretty cool. And I'm, you know what? I'm selfish. I want every ministry of the Holy Spirit I can possibly have. And yes, I got a ministry of the Holy Spirit when God did Ephesians 2, 4, and but got it and quickened me. Yes, I got it. But as an individual, when I act in obedience, I get a ministry of the Holy Spirit. And when I join myself to a local church, I get a ministry of the Holy Spirit that when I'm not a member of the Holy Spirit. And I'm so, I want everything I can get. I hope you do too. But here were these Jews and these Gentiles in these churches like at Rome and in Galatians and, and there was a separation, of, uh, a, a division going on within the body. And there we are sitting. And the only thing that can fix that is Jesus Christ. Okay? I got to admit, there's, um, there's a... In South Virginia, there was a church founded in the 1700s. And it had a balcony. You know what the balcony was for? It's for slaves. It had two cemeteries. You know what the second one was for? It was for slaves. That's not right. That's not right. Jesus Christ paid the sin debt for both parties. And the church is put side by side. And you go, Brother Dolph, prove it. Why does God in so many places say, whether you be bond or free? There was slavery going on back then 2,000 years ago. Read the book of Philemon. That's talking about a slave owner. And he's writing to him. Okay? All right. That's it. That's the race hurdle. Let's go back and read this passage one more time and I'm going to call it a day. Ephesians chapter 2. Let me put it up top so you can read it there. 
Ephesians 2, let's read this one more time. There it is. I'm going to read 11 through 22. Do do you remember when we first started this particular study that I said, my... The thing that attracted me to the book of Ephesians was the two prayers. There was a prayer that was offered up in Ephesians 1. There's a prayer that's offered up in Ephesians 3. And I wanted to know what Paul was praying for these churches so I would be better as a pastor of this church to know what to pray. But then I also noticed way in Revelations chapter 2, there was a synopsis of the church at Ephesus a generation later of what happened and what didn't happen. What worked and what didn't work. And, and, and that's why I got into this. But it's interesting. He bragged on them for about three or four verses. But then he says, I have somewhat against thee. And he said, from, remember from whence thou art fallen. And there's two hurdles that these Ephesians had to come over. They had to overcome a genetic hurdle. And they also had to come overcome a racial hurdle to get in this position where they were free worshipers in a New Testament church with God. We did the genetic hurdle two weeks ago. I was gone a week. We come back. We're doing the racial hurdle now. Let's read this with this, what these Ephesian members had to overcome. Verse 11. Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh... <clears throat> who were called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh made by hands. That at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from both the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. I think what we learn, well, that's a whole other sermon, I'm going to pass. Verse 13. But now, I love God's buts in the Bible. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes far off, were made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, hath broken down the wall, middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in the ordinances. For to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. And came and preached peace to you, which were afar off, and to them which that were nigh. He had to do this for both, for Jew and Gentile. And I give you a hint. Even with the Jews just because they had genetics, just because they had been circumcised, not all Israel was of Israel. There was another circumcision that had to go on, and that was the circumcision of the heart. Okay? We can't take the credit. Verse 19. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with saints and of the household of God. You're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord. The church is not a relic. It's an organism that is alive, that grows. It's living. It's not a monument. 
in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto the holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Lord, thank you for overcoming the genetic hurdle. Thank you for overcoming my racial hurdle. Let me be open arms to your other children. Regardless of their race, their education, social status, whatever else you want to fill in the bank. Okay? I always joke, well, was Virginia, Virginia Tech. Back where I come from, it's Michigan, Ohio State. I'll even brace Ohio State fan, okay? We've got to overcome these horizontal differences and start looking vertically. May the Lord bless us. Thank you.